Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Today we've got two passages to read, and the first is Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. And that's on page 413 of the Church Bible. Um, The second is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 19. So let's read Psalm 90 now. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We'll jump over to 2 Corinthians 5, and that is on 803 of the Church Bible. So verse 14 to 19. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace and your love for us, that we can come before you each Sunday as a, as a church family and hear from you and hear uh, what it um, means to, to live for you as Christians, as your people. And so we pray now, Lord, that as we uh, do that now, as we come before you and, and understand more about um, your, uh, your nature and uh, who we are before you, that it will, you'll help us to uh, live out our identity, live out our... Um, live out uh, how you've created us uh, as created beings, knowing that you are the uncreated one. So we pray for that now in your son's name. Amen. Uh, a couple of months ago, a movie came out in cinemas called... Barbie. Thank you. Biggest movie of the year so far. Uh, who got to see it? Can I just see it? Yeah, about half the room. Uh, I never thought I'd get up at church and talk about Barbie, but here I am. Uh, one night we got babysitting, Heidi and I thought, you know, let's go watch it. There's, you know, everyone was raving about it. I had very low expectations. I didn't think much about it. But when I uh, watched it, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I've been wanting to make a podcast episode to review it ever since, but I enjoyed it, not because of the nostalgia. You know, I didn't play with Barbie dolls as a kid. Um, I didn't enjoy it because of all the pink and the pretty people in it, uh, although there was a lot of that as well. But I enjoyed it because it was, it was actually quite deep. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but the movie is essentially um, Barbie has an existential crisis. Uh, She starts to feel human, has thoughts about death and experiences cellulite and flat feet. And she also starts asking questions about whether this everyday perfect Barbie land with parties and friends and beaches and being pretty is all that there is. And so she goes on an adventure to the real world uh, and and with those big existential life questions. and, And those questions get bigger. Who am I? Who am I created to be? What am I created to do? And so I wasn't expecting a movie about a Barbie doll to ask deep philosophical questions. Not only that, it's deep because it takes a social commentary on the world. 
it wants the viewer to consider how hard it is at times to be a woman. Whether uh, what a woman does or doesn't do is ever enough according to societal values and how that defines their identity. Is it okay for a woman to not be a mother? Is it okay uh, to be ambitious in your career? What are the beauty standards that define a woman? The world's values and expectations are constantly changing so that what made the perfect woman in 1959 when Barbie was first created wouldn't apply in 2023. It's deep because Ken as well, Ken uh, has to figure out his identity as well, why he exists. Does he only have value as Barbie's boyfriend? You know, Barbie and Ken. Is he only Ken because he's Barbie and Ken? What if Barbie isn't interested in him? What if he stays single? Does he get to choose his own meaning in life, identity, his own purpose? Or is, is he simply Ken, Barbie's boyfriend? The movie was deep. And it was deep and relevant because these are the questions of our generation as well. Who am I meant to be? What am I meant to do? The whole Western individualism in 2023 calls us to figure it out on our own. The whole anthem of our generation is be true to yourself. Look inside and let your feelings shape who you are. Only you know who the true you is. That inner image. That, and the rest of society, well, they have to accept you as you see yourself. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. And like Barbie... We live in this plastic world, malleable, moldable, we can shape it however we want, making and remaking our personal identity at will. The Barbie movie was a hit because it provoked the audience to ask some very big questions. Now for the Christian, for majority of us here, if you're not a Christian, welcome, I'm glad you're here with us. But for many of us as Christians, how is the question of who we are and what we are made for answered in light of God? You see, God invites us to ask these big questions as well in light of who He is. And the Bible shows us that our identity and our purpose has been shaped by a Creator. While Barbie tells us that life answers, uh, life's answers lie within ourselves, the Bible shows us that the answers lie in God who created us. And that these answers are far greater and truer than what what our constantly changing society can offer. Now, to understand our humanity first, however, is to understand who God is. Uh, in the first week of this series, I spoke about how God has incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. Incommunicable attributes are those characteristics of God that are only possessed by Him, right? So think about those uh, uh, attributes like He's infinite without limitations, He's omnipotent, God is all-knowing, God is omnipresent, He's everywhere all at once, He's omniscient, which means He's all-knowing, uh, which we looked at last week as well. This week I want to look at how God is self-existent. All right, that's the, that's the thing that we're going to look at today. He's self-existent and how that truth affects the way we live out our existence, okay? That's what we're going to do today. All right, so let's look at God's self-existence in Psalm 90, verse 1 to 2. That's what we read. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you, you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now there's a question. There's a question that you often hear by sometimes curious kids or the atheist in a debate. Where did God come from? We look around our world and through a scientific you know, lens, we see everything began from something, didn't, don't we? From nature uh, to animals to machinery to the food on our table. Growing up, I would always get the question, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, the question I would always get is, um, 
where did you come from, Mikey? Maybe it's because of the way I look, you know, my eyes or something. Um, and I'd say Australia, because that's where I'm from. And they'd be like, no, no, where are you from from? And I'd be like, oh, I like Brisbane. And they'll be like, you can see they're, you know, getting uncomfortable now, and I'm just messing with them. They're like, oh, ethnicity, oh, my ethnicity, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. All right? And so this is, this is the question I get a lot. People want to know where we're from and what, what, where things start from. And we ask these questions because we want to understand. We want to understand the origin of things to better understand the world around us. Here in Psalm 90, it says, Before the world was even made, God was there. Everlasting to everlasting, infinite, eternal. He always existed. You can go back to the uh, first verse in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. I've got this on the screen, verse 1. What does it say? It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And from there, the rest of the Bible, it's assumed, isn't it? It's taught that God has always been. He himself is uncreated. He has always existed. And so when you come back, uh, and, and there's another place in, the, in Exodus as well, uh, in the Bible, Exodus 3.14, uh, a story about, you know, about a man called Moses who meets God in the form of a burning bush, and he hears God's voice. Moses asks for his name. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you ought to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, that's God's way of saying, there was never a time I was not. And there will never be a time where I will be not. He simply and gloriously is. I am. Now that in itself, for the Christian, is a truth hopefully easily accepted by many of us here. For God to be God, He is and always has been. But for many, that's also a really hard idea to grasp. Uh, we look at the world around us through our lens and we want to compare God to something, don't we? We want to say God is like the sun and we're just like this little flicker candle. He's like the ocean and we're like a raindrop. But it's not like that at all. We can't, we can't uh, compare God to us. God is qualitatively different, right? You can't put Him in a category we can't put any limitation or imperfection that we see in creation and project that onto him. That's not how it works with God. He's the creator. We are creaturely. From cars to stars and guitars, all else is dependent and derived, finite and fragile, isn't it? Anything we know and everything we see can pass away. He exists independent, unchanging, forever and always has. I'm going to teach you guys a big word today. You, you might never use this again in your life. The word is aseity. It's not that big, but it's a hard word to say, aseity. That he has life, that's what it means is he has life and existence in himself and draws this unending eternal energy from himself. He has no needs. He's self-existent, self-sufficient. An idea will come to next week as well, and that's what it means for him to have aseity. But this isn't just a Christian idea. If you go back into history, you go back to the great philosopher Aristotle, if you guys know, if you've heard that name before, not a Christian guy, ancient Greek, uh, Greece re realized if we're to see the world and understand everything in the world has a cause and effect, then it's only logical to make sense that everything is derived originally from something that's uncaused. Does that make sense? The original cause of everything is uncaused. If the universe is in motion, then there was one primary mover to move everything, who was himself unmoved. That's Aristotle's idea. God is the uncaused cause. And this is so important, isn't it? Because at the beginning of the universe, there was nothing in existence. 
If there's nothing in existence, then nothing should come about, because nothing equals nothing, right? Nothing, from nothing, nothing comes. But things do exist. Something had to have always been in existence, and we know him as God, the self-existent creator, the one who brought the stars into motion, who brought, the world, uh, brought forth the world, as we read in Psalm 90, who created from the beginning. And to, exp- to expand your Latin, I'm going to teach you some Latin as well, the world for creating the world out of nothing is this word, ex nihilo. I don't know if I'm saying that right, ex nihilo, in case you ever come across it in Christian books. All right, anything you read, or you just want to flex to your friends on Instagram, right? Take a photo of a sunset and hashtag it ex nihilo, right? Out of nothing, God created something. Out of nothing, that's what it means. Now, if God is the uh, self-existent creator God, we have to understand something, don't we? We have to understand who we are in light of him. We exist as created creatures from God. We go back to Genesis uh, chapter 1, and what does it tell us about mankind, humankind? Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. After creating the world around us, as the creation story goes, he completes creation by creating man and woman to rule over the earth under him. In his image, we're made. That means we, although he is God and we're not, he wires us into his attributes, communicable attributes like love and justice and truth, and we're made to reflect that about him, made in his image. So we reflect those attributes, his communicable ones, and we see ourselves as limited, finite beings. You go to Acts chapter 17, verse 28 as well. It says, for in him we live and move and have our being. A simple truth, isn't it? Through God, we exist. Our existence is dependent upon him. As much as our Western individualistic culture tells us, none of us are truly independent beings. A.W. Tozer, he's a Christian author uh, from the early early 1900s. I mentioned him last week as well. He says this about self-existence. Man is a created being, a derived and contingent self, who of himself possesses nothing but is dependent each moment for his existence upon the one who created him after his own likeness. The fact of God is necessary to the fact of man. Think God away and man has no ground of existence. Our existence is derived. It's contingent upon God. Such a powerful statement, isn't it? Because what that means is if I cease to exist... God still remains. But if God ceases to exist, then nothing else will. Everything will cease to exist because creation and humanity is contingent, dependent upon God. Not even if you, you know, now, now you might not believe in God here. You might be new here, you're seeking out who Christ, Christianity, what it's about. But we can all admit, everyone in the room, we can admit that we're dependent to some extent, aren't we? We're not fully independent, created beings. We're dependent, created creatures. Where does your existence begin biologically? Here's a hint. Look down at your belly. Not at the size of your belly. Don't look at anyone else's. You don't need to lift up your shirts either, but what do we all share that reminds us where we began? A belly button. A little belly button here. Some have Audi, some have innies. Our belly buttons are God's reminder to us that we're made. We have an origin. We come from our parents. Our belly buttons tell us a story. We have biological parents and are part of a genealogy, a family tree. We've received a particular DNA. 
someone once changed your nappies as a baby so you wouldn't have to walk around with poo in your pants. One of the first hints, isn't it, of grace that a human experiences in life, a parent who, feels, who feeds a vulnerable child and changes their nappy. And then from food to shelter to ongoing health and education to work to income, guess what? It's all dependent on others. Other finite human beings who farm and crop animal, crop, who farm crops and animals for us to eat, or God who from conception forms us in our mother's wombs, brings the rain for the farmers to grow our food and allows us to live in a world where we can breathe the air and we're far away enough from the sun that we can, you know, we're in you know, livable conditions. You get what I'm saying? We're finite and we're dependent. And the gift of these relationships with God and others, even the earth around us, is meant to provide the, the, the matrix, really, for self-understanding. We are who we are, our identity, existence, our purpose in life. We're not individual, isolated islands. You see, in, the, in our postmodern world, it, it, we believe our existence is purely dependent on ourselves, how I shape my life, how I see myself. And when we do that, we fall into a trap, don't we? We have to make meaning for ourselves. You see, that's actually a problem. When we're trying to make meaning for ourselves, it's, it's a problem because when we're, we're doing that, we have to also create our own value. We have to make meaning, and that means we have to create value. If we don't fulfill our self-defined meaning in life, our purpose in life, guess what it makes you it, Guess how it makes you feel? It makes you feel like you don't have value in this world. You start hearing people say, I have no value in this world. I feel so useless. I feel worthless. Thinking that we have to create our own meaning. You see, when we do that, the vision is so enormous and it's exhausting. It's why we hear so often about the, the whole quarter-life crisis, the midlife crisis, the existential crisis. We shape an identity around a self-created meaning and purpose that we believe gives value to our lives. And without that meaning, our lives aren't valuable. Are you guys following with me here? Uh, when the world tells us to create our own meaning and then we can't fulfill that, we feel worthless. But this is why we need to stop and think. We can't think of ourselves as isolated, independent human beings. Instead, we need to begin considering our identity in terms of our relationships with others and with our God. And only then can you and I start seeing clearly who we are in this world why we exist, why we're made, what's our identity, what we're made for. We all have to unpack this truth about who we are. And it begins by taking a look at the culture that we're formed by. In every generation, we're always being formed. Formation by information. And although we make real decisions and our lives are shaped by certain actions, none of it happens in a vacuum, does it? None of it happens apart from a larger context. Whether it's your ethnic culture, the air we breathe, the device in our hand, the songs we sing, the language we use, it's all around us. It is the air we breathe. The people we know, the clothes we wear, the, what we eat, how we shop, living in 2023. There's a culture that we live in. And we're surrounded by those influences and information that's always forming us. But strip it all back. Strip that all back and see that we first and foremost are created, connected to God, to each other, to our families and our communities. That's where our, our identity begins. We're dependent beings, not born as blank slates, but with backgrounds, social, biological backgrounds, and created by God with love. See, the tragedy is without God. The tragedy is without God, we're, we're going to feel lost. We're going to feel uncertain. We'll always be searching for value and worth, hoping that our always changing feelings will give us meaning. 
just like the Barbie narrative. But God doesn't leave us lost. This is the good news of the Bible. He gives us a way to know Him. To know Him as a self-existent creator who created us and in love gives us value and meaning. And He does that through His Son, Jesus, who brings us to the knowledge of who He is and understanding of what we're to live for. 2 Corinthians 5.14, we read this earlier. I'll read it, just some parts of it to you again. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All, that, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Because when we look at God, we, we also see his love, don't we? And in love, Christ died for us. We've been given a new life. Spiritually, we're a new creation. Jesus has that power. He has the power as the Son of God to create new things. He himself shares that self-existence with God, that attribute. John chapter 1 tells us about it, but in John chapter 8 as well, verse 58, very truly I tell you, this is when these leaders are asking Jesus who he is. He goes, before Abraham was born, I am. You see what he's doing there? He's referring back to what we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He's calling himself the same name that um, God gives himself, Jesus claims that. Jesus, he's our maker. And in us, he spiritually makes us new, a new creation, where we can see now a new identity in Christ, where we can see ourselves in relation to God. We can now know him as our creator and as our father who loves and cares for us. And so it says, that's why it says in Corinthians, we've been reconciled now to God. We have a relationship with him. Our identity now is as a child of God. It's in Christ. Now, I don't want us to, ever, to think that that means we all have to be the same now. Uh, our identity in Christ isn't something uh, apart from our, our, uh, our cultures and backgrounds. We are unique. But it's a, rather, it's a transformation of them as he brings us to himself. You can keep describing yourself as an extrovert or introvert, Australian, European, or Asian. We have different personalities and different likes and dislikes. We are different people. We all acknowledge that, don't we? God isn't making us to be the same. When we're in Christ, though, we are brought together as a church family, as a family in God. We call him Father. But we're not eliminating our uniqueness. When you become a Christian, hopefully you're not thinking, or you might have been in churches before, but you're not thinking that you have to wear the same clothes, right? You don't have to wear socks and sandals, hopefully. Listen to the same type of music. Cut your hair in a certain way, thank goodness. It's so good that we have different people with different personalities, different styles. Having a new identity in Jesus doesn't mean we eliminate our individuality. Let's, let, let me say that. It's not sameness, but it's solidarity. It's shared union. Shared union amongst our diversity. Christ has freed us from our sin. We're freed in order to be our true selves. An identity transformed through his spirit in Christ. A new creation because of his love. And because of his love... We have worth and value, don't we? We've been given meaning and purpose. It's not that we have to live out our meaning and purpose to get worth and value. God gives us the worth and value first. And he calls us to live out our purpose as, as children of his, as new creations, as people saved in Christ. This is what human flourishing looks like in our world today. It's to enjoy him and to know him and to love him. Being made new in Christ, that's our identity now. We have been given meaning 
It's external. It's not internal. It's not look inside and find meaning for your life. It's look to Jesus. It's not be true to yourself. No, it's be true to the one who made you with love and purpose, with worth and value. See, the gospel changes everything, doesn't it? And when we really grasp this understanding of a self-existent creator, God, and us as created, dependent, finite humanity, well, the love of Jesus should change everything. Let's take the idea of just creating itself. God is created and we're, not, you know, we're created, but we create every day, don't we? We define ourselves as often by things that we create in our life, uh, and we form that as our identity. Uh, we think about how... Um, I know for many of us, when we think about creators, we just think about you know painters and poets, the one who creates creatively. But we all have created, we all have created, we all have creativity. We create every day. We create meals for dinner. We create content to put online to share with our friends. We create outfits to wear each day by putting on clothes. We create warm friendships and welcoming homes. We create in our jobs when we make spreadsheets, when we make formulas or machinery or come up with solutions to problems. We're always creating. To be human is to create. No one can escape that. Yet when we see God as our creator and ourselves as dependent, can't we see that everything we create is really just a a rearrangement of what our creator has given to us? The painter doesn't create colors. He uses colors given to him to create a masterpiece. The chef doesn't make food. He uses raw ingredients to create a meal. The builder doesn't create a house. He uses materials and rearranges them to build something great. The accountant uses numbers and formulas to create a balance sheet. The musician brings together notes and music to make a song, but no one truly makes anything from nothing. We're all rearranging, aren't we? What has already been created and given to us by the Creator God. No matter how talented you are or how gifted, how creative or smart, understanding God's self-existence strips us of any pride, any, any hints of narcissism. Where we want to take glory for our jobs and careers thinking that we built it from scratch, We want to take the credit for for raising great kids and a perfect home. We want to take the recognition for the ministry at church that we started and we built from nothing. Where in life life are you prone to do that, to take credit for creating? Perhaps it's a sphere of influence or perhaps authority. You worked harder and you believe that you did it all on your own. And sure, you play a role. There might be things that depend on you to an extent in your work and in your families. But we're only able to really live that out because of God, our Creator. There is no room for pride in our hearts in the way we approach Jesus. There is no room in our heart, no room for pride when we approach our jobs and our hobbies and our families and our ministries and our lives. There's no room to worship ourselves as self-existent creators because we're not. The gospel changes that. And when we understand who we are before God, who we are and why we've been created, the worship and glory doesn't go to us, it goes to Him doesn't it? He made us. He made you. He made me. He gives us every breath of life, every gift, every creativity that we have, and every resource we use to be created with. All our creative ideas is just a rearrangement of his creation, an echo of creativity. So instead of self-worship, let's be stewards. Let's be servants instead. Where we employ our gifts, we employ all our creativities and abilities, and use them in a way that points people to our creator. When we create, we celebrate the God who created us. He is our origin, and every good thing we make and create originates from Him, our self-existent creator God. You know, I want to finish where I started, talking about the Barbie movie, right? You see the Barbie movie, and every other pop culture really movie, or song, or narrative 
that we're hearing these days is all about that, finding meaning and value within yourself. It's the world we live in. And the Barbie's you know, movies, themes, they went deep. It was, it, was, it was interesting. But the message that you are enough, or in Ken's word, knuff, I think that's how you say it, knuff, it's really simply a shallow, feel-good, sentimental message, isn't it? As entertaining as the movie might have been, there's no basis to that. It's just a word to help you feel better about yourself when you feel a bit lost, when you feel like you're having a hard day. You just tell yourself you're enough. Well, through Jesus, we are far more than enough. And through Jesus, we, get, we have a better word. We've been given a status, an identity. We're loved, we're known. And Jesus' death on the cross is the basis for that love. Yes, we are created. We are dependent and finite. But before God, we're valuable. And through Jesus, we have meaning and purpose. Let's pray. Father, help us to see you as you are, our self-existent creator God, powerful, majestic, and sovereign. And help us to see who we are before you, created, dependent, and loved, loved by you. Loved so that we can love you and love others. Help us to live that out. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.